Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thanks for listening. My guest today is Chris Cisneros. Before we get to Chris, a few announcements. First and foremost, our website is TravelTalesPodcast.com. Go there and see photos of our guests. You can see stories that I've written, stories that some of the guests have written. You can see links to their social media. You can see links to our social media. And that is, of course, Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram, Travel Tales Pod on Twitter, uh, there's links to our Facebook page. There are links to Apple Podcast and Stitcher Radio, where you can subscribe to this show for free. And I ask, as always, to give us a good rating there, please. That helps more people find the show by boosting our presence. And that's a cool thing to do. So if you do that, I'd appreciate it. If you want to write me, you can write me at TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. That is TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. All right, Chris Cisneros, if you've been uh, following the show and you listened to our last episode with Darby Butts, who I interviewed down in Medellin, or Medellin, as the locals say, Colombia, you'll know that I was down there for a week at the end of January, my first time ever in Colombia, and I enjoyed it. Spent a week in Medellin, which is a uh, pretty, is a much bigger city than I thought it was going to be. It's about, uh, I don't know, around five, five, four or five million people. And uh, surrounded by amazingly beautiful mountains. And I didn't know what to expect. You know, Medellin comes with a, uh, a heavy reputation from the 80s that thankfully they have moved on from. And not only moved on, they've thrived since. Uh, Medellin is one of the fastest growing cities for at least expats and uh, digital nomads and backpackers and tourists and foreign business in South America. The climate is amazing all year round. It's very pleasant. It's very affordable. There's a lot going for it. The people are nice. The people are uh, beautiful. And if I learned anything, it's that my Spanish has gotten weaker over the years. It does help to learn Spanish. I realize just how lazy I've gotten uh, traveling around in places that are very tourist-friendly, like in Mexico or Costa Rica or places like that, where people will just see me coming and automatically speak English. It gets you lazy. But uh, Medellin and a lot of Colombia, nope, not a lot of English. And I'm talking not even in my hotel, like the front desk in my hotel reception. Nope, nothing. So I had to shake some rust off my bad Spanish and once again kick myself for not, uh, not keeping up with it. So I promise I'm going to do more of uh, Spanish studies this year, which is something I say every year, but this time I mean it. Okay, Chris Cisneros. Before coming to Medellin, uh, the only person I really knew in town was Darby Butts, who was our guest on last episode. He gave me the name of a guy named Craig Watson, who owns a bar called Barrio Central, or it's probably pronounced Barrio Central. Got to roll that R. Bar Barrio? Barrio Central in the uh, Lorellis neighborhood. And Darby told me they do comedy every once in a while, and they would be doing comedy the week I was there. So he put me in touch with Craig, who put me in touch with Chris Cisneros, who produces the show and also hosts it. He's a comedian. And I did the show, and it was fun. Maybe half the crowd spoke English. I did about five minutes. And we had a good time, and I got to meet Chris, who has an interesting story. He's from Venezuela, and if you've been following the politics of Venezuela in the last few years, you know that it's, uh, it's kind of a failed state. And it's having a lot of problems, and a lot of people are fleeing Venezuela. And since it's right next door to Colombia, a lot of those Venezuelans are ending up in Colombia. And Chris was a performer back in uh, Venezuela, and now he's living in Medellin and performing comedy. So he was a funny guy and a nice guy. And I asked him to uh, sit down for an interview. He came by my hotel on the last day I was there. And I just wanted to ask him about uh, Venezuela, about living in Colombia, about being a comedian in his neck of the woods, and all that stuff. So thankfully, he said yes, and it was great to have a chat. And just a little disclaimer for this episode, at around the 16-17 minute mark, there are some audio little sizzles and pops that uh, have been happening every so often with my, um, I think it's a cord issue or something with the USB adapter that uh, I don't hear when it's recording and then later when I get home and listen back, sometimes it happens. 
and it's so buried in the mix that I can't uh, take it out. I do what I can, but uh, it only goes on for a few minutes and then it goes away. So if you start hearing a little snaps and crackles, that's what it is. And I apologize. And I think it's just a matter of my equipment getting a little older, but it goes away. So I just wanted to make that clear. All right, with that out of the way, please enjoy my conversation with Chris Cisneros. I'm a joker, I'm a smoker, I'm a midnight joker. I get my love and I'm the I've been saying Medellin apparently wrong my entire life, as most people in America have. So I get here, I find out it's Medellin, but a little background on you. You are originally from Venezuela. Yes, I am. You've been living in uh, Medellin for how long? Uh, for 18 months now. That's it, 18 months. Well, I've been here before, and I, you know, I traveled, and I worked here just for, you know, on and off, but living here for 18 months. Your English is very good, let me just say. Where did you learn, and uh, how long have you been so fluent? Uh, well, it all goes back to... <laughs> The school days, I'm sorry, my English reverts or reverts back to like devolves is the word. Uh, yeah, to a very basic uh, uh, immigrant, no paper level. See, uh, see? Uh, no, senor, no, no border, didn't no jump, cross, no wall. Yes, <laughs> anyway, no, it's it's a long story. I've been working, you know, my mom lived abroad, my mom lived abroad, and she lived in um, Trinidad and Tobago, though a former British colony. Yes. Yes, and uh, she lived there, and then um, she came back to Venezuela after studying, and and passed it on to us, and brought us like bilingual. But the uh, you know, um, and then I studied, and then pursued a career as she did, as an interpreter, translator. So simultaneous and consecutive uh, interpreter, who, as they say, the interpreter. Yeah. <laughs> So you were you were working as an interpreter, yeah. or do you still do any of that? From time to time, it has slowed down in the, in recent years. But yeah, I have almost like eighteen years working as as an interpreter. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's nice work if you can get it. So where other aside from Venezuela and now uh, Colombia and Trinidad, did you live in Trinidad for a little while, or no, just visit it, okay. just visit it, just visit it, but not not never lived. So is this the first time you've lived outside of Venezuela? Um, uh, for this long, yeah, for this long, yeah, yeah, I have forced out of the country, yes. <laughs> well, we we're going to talk about that because if people aren't uh, aware, Venezuela is going through a little bit of a, a tough time right now. So, uh, describe in a nutshell for people who don't know the situation what is happening. Wow, I mean, <laughs> in one minute, describe <laughs> your entire civil disobedience and war. Wow, that's that's <laughs> that's a quite a challenge. You have what two, three hours yeah, yeah, for this yeah. podcast? Anyway, uh, well, Venezuela has been uh, going through um, some uh, complications. Uh, uh, that's an understatement. Um, it's been almost twenty years, actually twenty years now, of this regime started as a democratic uh, government as well. Uh, as most people will think, it's called Chavismo is the name of it. It's, it was started by Hugo Chavez uh, back in 1998. Was, when he was elected, he was a left. Mm, far. Yeah, far, le <laughs> far, far left uh, guy, disguised as a, as a left center kind of guy. Uh, he was an ex-military. He attended a coup back in the 90s, um, in 92. He was pardoned by a president and after that he ran for president he won the election and then he changed the republic of venezuela into the bolivarian republic of venezuela which pursued a more nationalist uh agenda the anti-imperialist uh, government and that kind of thing anti-american yeah, we can say yeah. but uh venezuela has a lot of oil and of course if there's oil involved america gets involved oh, yeah. And uh, so basically he nationalized the oil, right? Mm, not really, actually. Venezuela had been a country with a nationalized in the oil industry since 1976. Okay. okay? Uh, so there was a, another president that, that nationalized it and became millionaire. I mean, the whole country was flooded with, with money, with, you know, thousands and thousands of, um, I don't know, revenue from... Uh, the thing, the money that uh, the companies will take, then the government will take it now, and then corruption just grew exponentially. The problem when uh, with the hap that happened was like, yeah, there was corruption, there were, but there were 
alternate gover governments. You know, you have then you have some president in office, and then the next party will get the next four or five years actually. And but it all stopped with Chavez. So Chavez, what he did was like a deeper nationalizing process of oil, and uh, he took total control of the oil industry. So then he will have it as his checkbook. He would do whatever he pleases with that. So, and. In the last few years, it has basically become, I don't know, almost a, it's a lawless kind of state almost. Yeah, yeah it's a failed state, as, as, as they say. Uh, uh, crime, just rampant, uh, unchecked, uh, a lot of violence, and there's a lot of, of uh, other means of mass control because they, they control the population. Uh, there's a lot of the scarcity, uh, lack of food, lack of medicine, um, uh, poverty increased on all, on, you know, on all at, at, a, at an increasing uh, level every day. Um, so people had to start, you know, fleeing the country. In the last five years, um, 4.5 million Venezuelans has left the country. And um, it's increasing, you know, by the day, especially here in Colombia. They said that out of those, almost 5 million, 1.5 million live here in Colombia. So have you been recipient of any anti-Venezuelan uh, opinion or yeah, uh, like racist? Yeah, xenophobic. Xenophobia, yeah. I guess it would be. Xenophobia, yeah. No, well, you know, it's sometimes, I mean, you will get it yeah. sometimes. But since I'm a, I'm a voice actor, I can disguise my accent. So oh. so I can go, you know, for <laughs> like a neutral Spanish, like like in Telemundo. <laughs> Sabado Gigante. Sabado Gigante. That kind of thing, you know. So we do that. Um, well, yeah, I know. And I understand, like, any country will have bad people, you know, bad apples, and, and, and the good apples as well. So I don't know. I will think. Oh, don't we know it? <laughs> yeah, don't, don't get me started. <laughs> but if um, you still have family back there, and, and is the plan always to go back, or do you want to stay or move somewhere else? Well, um, Mike, I wish we could go back. I mean, uh, I think that there's nostalgia, or uh, we get homesick, you know, like every other day. You know, you miss your food, you miss your, you miss your, yeah, the city, you miss you know, a lot of. It's your home. It's, yeah, it's your home, but but the situation as it is now, I mean, it's really difficult for people to really return and come back or go back to Venezuela. Even though we'll say that even though the government or the regime falls tonight, let's say that it falls tonight, it would take around five years to start recovering, and then other another ten or fifteen more to probably go back to where we were uh, like 20 years ago. So it's it's crazy. Uh, yeah, I have family there. I've got family. But most of them, like like my cousins and uh, a lot of relatives, they just left. Uh, some in, in Europe, other countries in, in South America, others. Actually, my, my brother is in the States. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he, he's in Arkansas. Yeah. Of all the places, I would not have picked Arkansas. How the hell did he end up there? Was it a university thing? Uh, no, it was a marriage thing. Oh, right. So, yeah, so he met her in, in Venezuela. Okay. And then they got married, and then they returned home. So, so, so he, she took him away from us. Far away? Is he in Little Rock? Is in, no, he's actually farther inside. It's, it's Conway. Wow. Conway. Conway, Arkansas. Yeah. He went deep. He's way in there. Yeah, yeah. He really wanted to, yeah. you know, to to embrace the culture and to really. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they embrace him. That is the whole thing. <laughs> well, I don't know. He's got a lot of stories, actually. Yeah, sure. yeah. Well, he well he's American now, so well, yeah. So, have you been to the U.S.? Yes, I've been to the U.S. But uh, yeah, it's been. I think it's been what uh, twelve years since I uh, last visited. Yeah. Where did you go? Um, uh, Georgia, Florida, um, what's uh, Arkansas, of course. Arkansas, because I got to visit my brother. Sure. And um, <laughs> and uh, uh, no, Mississippi, actually. Well, I didn't get to to New Orleans. No. The next time, do yourself a favor. I will. I will. Yeah, in the South, there's only a few. I always recommend. There's about a handful of places worth seeing. I think. And that are really unique, but New Orleans is one of the, it's it's one of the most unique cities in all of America because just its background is different, the history is different, the music, the food—it's all unique. 
So it's really the problem I always have with America is like been through most of it is that a lot of the cities start to look the same after a while. Like you could be in downtown Dallas or downtown Kansas City or Denver or something, and you wouldn't know where the hell you were. I mean, you're just it's there's the Walmart next to the Taco Bell next to the thing. You know what I mean? It starts to look the same after a while. Unfortunately, the architecture, but things were built around the same time, and so the East Coast where things are older, they have a little more distinct. Thing. And then out west, you have you know, a place like San Francisco or something, which is much looks like only that place, you know. So, okay. anyway, um, but next time you go, you gotta come visit at the West Coast. I'll uh, hook you up. Let's talk about comedy. When you started, where you started, and what kind of comedy scene is there in Venezuela as compared to Medellin? Okay, well, um, comedy. Well, comedy has been always been a like a. It's part of the DNA. It's it's kind of like the way that we understand and process life, especially I mean countries like the third world countries or the struggling countries, whatever there is, uh, tragedy. There's comedy, and, and and it's oh it's a way to fight against you know the things that try to eat you alive. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's just the means to stay alive. Sure. So Jews, blacks, you know, it's, if you can't laugh, if you can't laugh at Latino, if you can't laugh at this stuff, I mean, life is hard enough. You know, you got to be able to process it. It's true. It's true. So, um, so it, it's been in the family. It's run family. So, um, but it, I'm actually the very first one that attempted uh, becoming a professional. I don't think that I did or <laughs> ever uh, got closer. But anyway, um, I think I was in a I was in a in a church in a, a youth a youth group. And uh, the very first time that I performed, it was, it was a like a one man show that I put together after a failed camp experience that happened to us the the bus broke down the food well there were some guys that got uh food poisoning and uh you know it was a horrible experience and then when we, on the way back just as we drop off the bus and then got into into the church building uh <laughs> i i did an impersonation of a, of a pastor who was a guy from the states actually okay. uh he was from uh virginia um, anyway, I, I was impersonating him, and I will say something like, like, bueno, Vale, I know you sick is the campamento, fue horrible, because uh, that was Jim, that was, yeah. uh, was him, and, and then I went through, like, uh, ocurrió así, like, uh, this is just, just like uh, news shows that it's very uh, exaggerating everything, and they, they, they thrive on just... Uh, Fake news. <laughs> but anyway, it was it was uh, the first attempt. I studied drama and and uh, I was a stint on theater and drama, and then I studied um, art. I went and switched to comic books. I went to a comic book school, and then I I kind of like left that behind. And it was around in my early nineteen, I mean eighteen, nineteen, early twenties. So I forgot about it until ten years ago. I'm forty four now. To 10 years ago, um, I I got I was asked to write a, uh, a a play based on some other book, and I said, "Hey, this is this is too heavy. I want to do it in comedy." And um, I was already doing some comedy in radio, but not like live comedy. And then so I said, "Can I perform it?" So I performed it, and I that moved me around in different places in my city, Barquisimeto. And then I actually signed up for a this festival, comedy festival, and I won the first the, the, you know, the first place. And I was a winner. And that really opened the way or paved the way for me to, to go to clubs and different places in the capital. And before I left, uh, I went to Caracas, which is my hometown, is, is our capital in Caracas. Mm -hmm. Caracas, Venezuela. Caracas. But that, you know that place... Um, it's it's all it's weird to talk about comedy in Venezuela because we have a, a heritage mainly coming from from TV. We have be the equivalent to SNL. Yeah. Okay. It was called Radio Rochela. It was kind of like messing around on radio, like uh, sketch stuff, like written pieces and like yeah. radio, almost like a radio play. Yeah, it was almost like a radio play. It was sketch, but it was on on TV and it was live. Oh. It was live, live first, and then then they moved on to taped. Okay, uh, it was a Monday night, and then the comics from that actually make the jump out of TV and then to the bars and to theaters, and then performed monologues, and then we moved on to stand-up comedy, and then evolved gradually 
to what we regard as stand-up comedy nowadays. Right. So you have the generation, the TV generation from the the late seventies, early eighties, then like being like the like this um, teachers for those that wanted to perform comedy um, in the early nineties and then the early two thousands, and then just don't know people that uh, late bloomers like me yeah. <laughs> that were always wanted to do it, but uh, you know life went different ways. And um, so, you know, that, as I said, that festival, the comedy festival, just uh, introduced me to the comedy world. So before I left Venezuela, back in, in 2017, I, I finished a program as a degree, like a diploma. It was a special comedy program uh, by a, a university called the Universidad Católica Andres Bello, one of the most prestigious private universities in, in Venezuela. And then they decided to join forces with something that's called Escuela de Humor, which was the first school that teaches, formally teaches comedy, improv, um, clown, and all these oh, wow. okay. wonderful things put together in a what it's called a postgraduate um, level introduction to comedy. So it was it was really good. I mean, in terms of you will uh, uh, learn the history of comedy in the continent and Spanish as well. Uh, you will uh, uh, get lectures from your favorite actors and your favorite com comics and comedians from both radio and, tele and TV. Because today, and, and one of the main focuses was how to maintain your focus on comedy and how to stay alive doing comedy. In a, in an environment that is very much like a dictatorship. Yeah, was it? I mean, in terms of uh, censorship, was was yeah. the government there? Even the radio stuff and the live setting can be dangerous. You know, with live anything can happen. It can get out. Yeah. Even stuff that they didn't improve. Um, what kind of things were prohibited? for you to say anything against the government and that kind of thing well it, it's, it's complicated they they devised many ways in which they can censor you without telling you that you're being censored okay so one of these is like uh oh you're you're you have a hate speech and they say oh you're you're expressing hate towards this group of people in society and but not directly telling you we hate what you say or you are against us and then we are shutting down your your show you can do that with any joke i mean someone something's always the butt of the joke yeah. you know so someone's always getting hurt in every joke i mean if you you could do that with any joke you could censor yeah yeah it's actually it's 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 funny because people criticize comedy for criticizing you yeah. <laughs> you know or for just pointing out the flaws and in doing so they're just doing the same um, or uh, even attacking people. So things got worse because uh, you would just not hear of radios that were shutting down or or or, or shows that were canceled. Uh, there were people that will be fine or just taken to court for the, for things like that. And then people uh, things escalated, and then they were imprisoning people for just telling jokes. Yeah. And, and and that was just weird. Even even I was. Um, um, I was in a show one time, you know, after a show that I was, I was a host of, uh, we closed the show, we finished the night. And then one, uh, this guy said, Hey Chris, there's someone that wants to hire you for a private show. And I said, it is just in a couple of hours. They have a party and they want to bring you in. And I said, okay, fine. We talked about it. We got to the place and I'm, and everything is set. We have, they have actually a lot of tables in the, like in the backyard, it's a big house. You see, there's a lot of money there. Okay. So, they hire me, they have everything, they have the sound system, the microphone, ready, the show's about to start, so i start with my opening joke, a oh, line, which is, it was a joke about my hairstyle, because I'm bold, <laughs> okay, so a hairstyle, and I say that Cabello is one of the leaders of the government there, okay, of the Chavismo, and, it, and uh, this guy was in the military and now is the head of the official national party, okay? And uh, he's been known for persecuting and incarcerating people and torturing people and all that. So I said, there's no hair, cabello. So this is the ideal country hairstyle. Mm -hmm. I said that. That was the opening joke. Of course, it's, it's better. It sounds better in Spanish. <laughs> yeah, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, instead of... Uh, well, some people, you know, like the room laughed... Except one guy that looked me, you know, dead in the eye and then, and then stood up and said, if you say one more joke like that, you will end up in jail. And this guy turned out to be a colonel, you know, and, I, and, and the armed forces. Mm -hmm. And he was, pro, of course, pro-government. And I didn't know. 
and and he was very serious about it and and just like that many comics have experienced things like you know death threats and then messages like on like instagram or twitter things like that your account could be canceled simply because the government put a lot of pressure on twitter to cancel your your account and stuff like that it will happen uh so people actually there's a lot of comics that left the country and then they're now in states or spain or there's even a guy that uh is in australia and is doing fine there and because he, he left because of dictatorship so um it's hard it's hard you have to be a lot of be, um, actually more creative and 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 to try to come up with uh, more uh, jokes that are not explicit right, you know yeah, to, yeah. to if you want to talk about the political climate or situation there so if is there in terms of stand up like comedy clubs or is there like theaters you can play like a circuit you can tour and and make money make a living doing it i mean and are they doing it Yes, yes. Um, I, I cannot tell you for the last 18 months that I've been out of the country, oh, yeah. but until that point back in the beginning of it, uh, 2018, I was able to make a living out of comedy. And most comics would do the same, I mean, by that time. Um, it, it, there were three main, uh, let's say, the streams of the income or the influx. <laughs> One would be the the like the circuit or the the bars, uh, the comedy clubs, you know, that will have comedy uh, every week or every other week or every weekend, and then you can tour around different cities. Then you have uh, theaters, so you can have your one-man show there, okay. Uh, and then there will be companies, you know, in-company services like shows for whatever company will hire you for that. Yeah. So we'll be the three, it was, it was thriving, it was, yeah, the corporate, yeah, the corporate side of, of, of comedy. Uh, and even the fourth one will be like the workshop and the training and then, you know, the salesmen that want to be funny when they sell. Is there like a, um, a TV show or something like that where everybody's, every comedian is trying to get on, like that could really boost your career? Like in the old days in the US, it was The Tonight Show. You get on that and then, you know, your career could change with a big show on the, you know, big set on there. Is there something like that in Venezuela? Um, the show that I mentioned that was Radio Chela was, was like the main goal for anyone that wanted to perform comedy and that they want to be there uh, as a guest or as a player of a cast. Um, there was one, uh, there's an, there was another one that uh, it still goes there. We don't know what's going on with that channel. We don't know if there's line up and sided with the government or not. You know, yeah. people will say that yes, no, they're surviving, but um, uh, there's a lot of self-censoring process, you know, in order to stay on the air. Uh, this, this is another show. Yeah, it's a morning show, and then every every Friday they they invite comics to tell jokes. You know, it's like it's weird in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a talk show in the morning. It's like a Good Morning America, and then they will have yeah. a set there. It's, it's it's weird, but it's 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 like that. Yeah, it's kind of having to do uh, morning radio. In the uh, in the states, when you work at a club, they make you go to the local radio station to promote. Yeah. You know your show that night, and you're you haven't slept. You know you're there. It's seven in the morning, and you're trying to be funny, and it just yeah never works. Uh, it's brutal. brutal. Um, so coming here, yeah. is the scene kind of comedy scene kind of similar in um, Colombia, or is it more advanced or not as advanced? It's. Um it's similar in the way that uh, clubs, I mean, we don't have clubs that are 100% dedicated to comedy. I mean, like you guys have. Yeah. I mean, that would be like the dream of us <laughs> to have them here. We don't have them. It's um, probably other cities in, in, in Latin America that would have that will be like Mexico City and uh, Buenos Aires. Yeah. Like two countries, Mexico and Argentina, that are more developed in, that term, in, in, in those terms. Um, and, and specifically here in Colombia, um, Bogota is probably more advanced or like uh, ahead in terms of the, the, the evolution of comedy. And so they have uh, places that uh, have uh, more than just one set or more, more, one show at night. Here, um, we'll probably, in comparison to, Venice, to where Venezuela was, I will say that uh, is what Venezuela was five years ago, probably five or six years ago. Even though we've been having a lot of problems in the, with our economy and, and with censorship and all that, comedy was thriving to the point that a comic could live off of comedy and tour around. And so, but, but Medellin is just getting there. The current movement or the scene is only like two years old. So it's just getting there. Is it mostly in, in Medellin and not in, in Bogota? 
Now, Bogota is, is far more advanced. They have they have more open mic nights and they have more uh, headlining shows and they have more kind of like uh, and and I think there's some places that are evolving into becoming a comedy club, just yeah. you know like twenty four seven. Have you see, have you seen a change in the local uh, people that maybe some people just haven't even seen live comedy before? Are you seeing more of that? Well, that's that's the thing. Um, Medellin, in, in particular, the, in, uh, compared to Bogota, it has a more thriving and vibrant uh, cultural arts. scene, yeah, art scene, and okay. Uh, so people are more accustomed to hey, let's buy tickets to watch a play and, and let's go to theater. That's something that it's more common here than other cities. Uh, but uh, in terms of comedy, live comedy, people are not really accustomed to it. So we as comics, we have an extra job or or goal is is to to educate you know the audience is to tell them hey this is how a show goes this is what is going to happen and people just gradually are becoming more um connoisseur of, uh, of of comedy are they at least starting to put the phones away oh i wish i wish well yeah you know yeah they're doing that and they're paying attention and it's weird because there there are nights you have well maybe you experience that there's the nights where you don't have you don't get much laugh but they're paying attention they're not being they you know they're talking over you they're not just being noisy they're not you know heckling they're just paying attention but they said like their face is like i don't know what i'm watching now but it's interesting. <laughs> so, yeah, I think they're getting there. It's, I know it's a slow, I probably slow curve of, of uh, and at a slow pace, but it's getting there. I mean, I, we talked about this the other night after the show, but I think one of the hardest things, you know, when I look back at the, at the bar scene and the, and the comedy club scene in the U.S., it's really, I mean, what pays the bills is the is booze, is the liquor sales. And I think people just drink more back there than they do here. And if you could make that would be a tough thing of getting a full time club going that I mean, would people accept a, a two drink minimum, you know, or something like that? Or would they go, I'm not I I shouldn't they'd be forced to drink two drinks when I don't want even one, you know? Or do you charge a cover and how high should that cover be? These are all more economic things, but uh, having a full-time club to pay the bills, you have better sell a lot of tickets if they're not drinking. You know? Yeah, but I think that I don't know if if actually the drinking because they, I mean, community Latinos drink a lot yeah. too, you know. But I think it has to do also with uh, I think it's a time issue as well because uh, through the week, I mean, during the week or midweek, people are more concerned. Oh, I gotta get early to my job tomorrow, so I don't, I don't, I don't have a chance to stay here for you know, a late night or to oh, drink a lot. I walk down the streets at 11 o'clock on a Tuesday and there's jam with people. Yeah. Come on now. Yeah. There's clubs that they're out there on the sidewalk. Well, and I'm, it, just telling, I'm just telling you what they tell me. Maybe it's just because our comedy sucks and uh, it's just a more polite way to say it. Maybe it depends on the neighborhood, I guess. But, <laughs> you know, people go out here. I mean, come on, they go out. <laughs> yeah, Eat they, dinner at 11 o'clock. They do, they do, they do. You're right, you're right. I don't know, man. I don't know what, what to do. You're supposed to bring me, you know, some okay. fresh ideas right. from, from the capital, world capital of stand-up comedy. Yeah. Were you exposed to much um, uh, U.S. stand-up, like, as a kid? And, oh, yeah. and much, Who were some of your favorites? Well, I, I think it's a mixed, of, a mixed bag of, of influences in, in, in my comedy, in my comedy, I don't know, life or DNA, uh, like The Muppet Show and the, the yeah. style, their style of humor. Uh, even that I think it's, it's, it's funny to see that um, humor made by adults for just an, an adult audience is consumed by kids. It happens the same with Looney Tunes, yeah, and right? The Simpsons. And The Simpsons, too. Yeah, yeah. It was a jokes, you know, written by, by just grown-ups, for grown-ups, but it's consumed by children. And then people think, oh, it's just a children's show. It's not. No. It's not. So, and, and of course, there's a lot of social commentary there. And also, and also there is a lot of very creative and, and ingenious ways to address the reality that you're in. That you're in. So, yeah, that one, of course, Simpsons, and, uh, and you mentioned them. And as for comics, um, I don't know. I don't know. Should I mention this guy? Uh, well, Eddie Murphy, of course. Uh, and, I've heard of him, yes. Yeah, you know, I've heard of him. <laughs> uh, and you heard of, of a man that he mentions in his stand-up as well. 
and even recently, uh, but he has fallen from grace, Bill Cosby. Oh, yeah. No, I grew up, uh, my dad was a huge Bill Cosby fan, so he had the, the albums, yeah. you know, before, in the days before cable television, right. we couldn't see that much live comedy, so it was all on albums. That's what I grew up listening to. So his albums, and then, well, Richard Pryor was my main guy, Richard. yeah. But I had to hide the Richard Pryor albums because oh, they were dirty, you know, you know, they said bad words. So, uh, but he was really my main guy. And then it was George Carlin and, and guys yeah, like that. But albums were my entry into that before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when you got cable TV, you could see it on TV. You could see you know, on video mm-hmm. too and VHS. We, I remember I had it in high school, I had Eddie Murphy's uh, Raw. You know, that was like the tape when I was in high school and we would watch it. But um, yeah, it was eye-opening. And then it boomed in the 80s around uh, around the US just for it was just a perfect storm of a lot of different reasons mm-hmm. cable television started to grow right. and they had all this open channels that needed programming and they realized that stand up is a very cheap form of programming you just need one stage one microphone you don't have to hire any writers and just set it up and shoot them and so they were everywhere but the downside is it was too many shows and too many and people got tired of it yeah. so they killed it and that, and people started going out less. There was a recession, and you know, baby boomers got older and didn't go out as much. All these things happened. So by the time I got into it, clubs started closing a lot of different places in the 90s. But you know, they still never went away. You know, it goes like anything, they go up and down and up and down. But um, so maybe you could be a forerunner. I think you know, you could produce a TV show here. Yeah, there you go. Hey. Giving you these ideas, and they need to put it on, and you know, you can shoot it cheap. <laughs> that's good. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things, and I, and we've seen this happening in in Venezuela. Whenever they start closing, you know, shutting down uh, channels, TV TV stations, and radio stations, um, was uh, people migrating to to internet. You know, just uh, YouTube, uh, podcast, and all that. Um, because it's cheap. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to produce and just like this. Yeah, and, 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 um, it is a window of like, well, now it's saturated. Maybe people say it's saturated the market with a lot of things, but as they, as the guru says, like, well, it just have to be unique. Can they, can the government and do they often, can they completely shut down, say YouTube and, or certain things on YouTube and block it and, um, you said about Facebook as well. They they block that too. Yeah, they they actually uh, they've done some experience with uh, Twitter and um, and Facebook as well, and uh, even WhatsApp. And um, the only way to bypass it is just to find uh, some other like uh, like a VPN service and then try to bypass it. And you know, this guy's your IP address. Um, yeah, and 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 they've done it. They've done it even especially during the. The the years of heavy pro- protest and on streets and uh, marching and, and and demonstrations and all that against them, they 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 tried that. Actually, they say that they hired a team from a country that I won't say the name, but they have an accent like this. You know, if you that well, we can help people. That yeah. trouble that you had. <laughs> Do you um, I'm not to get you know sad about it, but I mean, do you do you at least have some hope? That things can turn around in Venezuela? I mean, is there a buzz of, is anything happening that you're hearing about that might be a little bit positive? Well, a year ago, there was the, um, what happened was this guy, Juan Guaido, called, um, he became the interim president of Venezuela. And um, so he started like an international movement. He turned around, visited countries, and tried to create awareness uh, to the crisis and see if the world would do anything nothing has happened as of yet except just a few things that uh that that side or parallel government has achieved for migrants and refugees from venezuela in different countries um but it's hard to say mike it's hard to say i don't know um some people will say that uh, it could happen anytime and some people believe in trump and then he will yeah and then he will do something fantastic what did he do for you he can, that he can't even do for us. What can, what, what's he, what can he do? I'm not. I'm, I mean, I'm not pro-Trump. I'm just. I'm not. But I mean, it's just like I mean, that's really reaching if they're down there thinking. No, it's, it's just that's the, the lifeline. I mean, that's you know. Yeah, it's 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 a very thin, <laughs> yeah, I mean, a thin hope. It's a very thin hope. Yeah, 
uh just like the hair on my head uh, <laughs> but no just just um I don't know. It's it's just any. It's very complex because you have uh, Russian interests and you have Chinese interest in Venezuela as well, and of course the the U.S. interests there, and um, and of course like this country, Colombia has been affected big time for that. But um, I don't know. I'm wishful thinking and my prayer or whatever. It's yes. I we want to see a change, and not just because selfishly I want to go back to my country. It's because you know thousands of people are trapped there. Millions of people are trapped there. Uh, people are dying and, and and sick and without you know just the life that they deserve that they could live. And so anyway, yeah, it's it's it, is this is a thing for comedy or for no, just it's, just <laughs> is this? It's travel really too? But I yes. mean, it's like uh, you know, I want to know. Um, you, know you know what is that? I'm sorry. So when you mentioned that you were you were uh, uh, in Curacao, right? Yeah. And then you wanted to visit Colombia. You know, it saddened me. To, to hear that because Curacao is much much closer to Venezuela. I, I would have loved to go to Venezuela. Yeah, it's it been is. on my list for a while, but now I don't know if I ever will be able to. Right, and 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 you yeah you would have been able to see you know beautiful and breathtaking landscapes and and places and of course beautiful people like myself yeah yeah and 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 good food all that and it's just experience of 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 living the country feeling the country uh, a beautiful country of course with all of the mistakes and 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 bad things that that humanity packs you know and, and brings with them but um i would love just to see uh, a venezuela that would give you the opportunity to visit yeah you know. i'd love to go and i want to see a baseball game there Oh yeah, <laughs> a lot of good players from Venezuela. Good players, yes, true, it's true. Good players, we produce good players for you guys. Yes, <laughs> my uh, Chicago White Sox, Ozzy Guillen, led them to a World Series. Uh, See, and he was the hero of Venezuela for a while. Yeah, Ozzy. Oh yeah, Ozzy. It's just like and he disappeared. He's, I don't know where he is now. He's not coaching, and I don't know what happened. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe uh, he will just uh, he'll come back one time. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I don't know. Um, where of, of the places? Where is a dream place you want to travel to? If you could go anywhere in the world do you have like a list anywhere of yeah you know what do you sit there and dream that you always wanted to see i've been able to see i mean not much of the world i, w I would love to travel more uh this year uh, last year i was able to go to to uh, the netherlands oh. uh, yeah I, I visited uh and I, I so but i would love to i don't know for a crazy reason i will always love to uh, or think about i've been thinking of berlin you know and and uh, and then munich Munich. Yeah, Munich. Yeah. Um I would love to to get to know uh, what um I was thinking of Turkey the other day. Uh and um what I don't know, Paris of course. <laughs> Paris. Mm. Uh, this this is kind of, I I think you have to edit this out. Cuz this is I'm I'm thinking because I'm thinking of many places. It's okay. No, it's a travel uh, podcast. So, if it, does your uh, you I assume you have a Venezuelan passport? Uh, I do. Does that limit you and where you can go? Do they? Well, it, it limits uh, a few countries that you have to apply for a visa first. But there are many other countries. Uh, I was. Uh, it's not as privileged as other as other passports, or as, as powerful as all the passports. But yeah, um, I was able to to get in the Netherlands. Uh, no problem except that one of the anti-terrorist police officers that was there pulled me aside and said what is the purpose of your visit yeah, here right. but more, actually in Spanish he oh. says sí, ¿cuál es el propósito de su visita? <laughs> and I was like mm, I, I come for a conference here <laughs> <laughs> I have some jokes sir uh, so if, if Venezuela does open up uh, what are the uh, most beautiful places we have to see aside from your hometown of, of Caracas because I know you're biased <laughs> what are the most what are the the highlights okay well they're beautiful highlights um uh, the the one the, of course uh which is uh you want you want to go to los roques which is in a uh it's a, a group of islands small islands uh uh that's uh beautiful um uh clear clear blue water uh white sand uh kind of place uh, you also want to see the the tallest and the highest uh, waterfall in the world that we have. It's called Salto Angel. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's the uh, Angel Waterfalls. 
Angel Falls. South of Angel Falls. Angel Falls. So it's uh, it's where uh, it's in the like, our area of the Amazon jungle or the jungle that we share with Brazil as well. I've seen photos. It looks amazing. Oh yeah, well that uh, you can go to Merida. Merida, it's it's part of the mountain range, the Andes mountain range as well, and it's a city that's uh, it's very nice, beautiful, a lot of colonial architecture, uh, and it's where they say that it's the nicest people of the country. There, it's like the people that are so nice and the the food there, they yeah, they just uh, welcome in their in your in their home. It's It's just fascinating. It's it's very nice, and uh, over the probably the the eastern side, um, you have Margarita Island, and it's a very touristic. Uh, uh, it's a tourist destination, or used to be, <laughs> uh, very attractive. Can, nice nice beaches and. Can tourists not go now, or can they? Well, they can. Okay. They can. They can. Of course, you can, but. But there's a lot of it's dangerous. It's dangerous. I won't. I won't lie to you. It's dangerous. I might be, I've met people. I've heard of people that said, "Hey, I've been there. And nothing happens." Like, good for you. Good. 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 Now, I don't know about you know the rest that will be there. Um, anything can happen uh, in the economy. It's so unstable. I mean, they will love to get see more green bills yeah, <laughs> dollar. Sure. Yeah, but uh, yeah, and then some people actually uh, visited some of these places. But as you see, there's a collapse in everything. So transportation services are not right. what used to be. So uh, living in uh, Medellin, Medellin, give me your favorite parts about Medellin and your not so favorite parts about Medellin. Oh boy, <laughs> I'm getting me in trouble here. I'm, I'm living in Salon, Senor. I cannot talk about that. Okay. Um, Well, I love Medellin because it, it actually reminds me of Caracas. Okay, it's a valley, you know, it sits on, sits on a valley, and um, the kind of like probably the distribution it's similar to it. The climate similar to. Uh, what I don't like, let's talk about that. Climate is like bipolar, <laughs> but you never know. Not even if you have uh, you know the climate or weather app, you'll never know what the weather is going to be like. And when it's going to rain like a storm, like if the Australian yeah. Yeah, uh, hail storm. Yeah. Well, the other day, it was exactly the same thing here in Medellin. Yeah. Um, well, this area, this nice, is, is poblado, is, is, a, is a nice place. Envigado is nice, is, is muy bonito, señor. Uh, and, um, well, of course, there are other places that have a lot of history, like uh, Comuna 13, You know, the places where you have, you know, a lot of islands before and then some now, but... Yeah. But is people, you know, tourists are able to just visit and, and be there. Um, they're nice be places that I don't like. I don't like the metro system around no. uh, uh, around 6 p.m. Oh, no. yeah, yeah. oh man, rush hour. Oh man, that's it's just crazy. Well, I took it on this first tour that I did. We got back to the Poblado station okay. at 6 p.m. Mm -hmm. and the line to get in to the station was insane and It's to get out popular. was easy was easy we were yeah. it was one little lane to get out and we had mm -hmm. plenty of room for us but to get in oh man like three or four people across hundred yards down you know it's it's i was like i'm glad we're arriving and not leaving because we would be standing in line and this is every day so i guess a lot of people work in poblado but they don't live mm. here because they have to leave at the end of the day and it was crazy so is that is the crowds but other than the crowds you know it's pretty effective metro oh i i love it i mean yeah. in in other than the rush hour i mean i love yeah, it yeah, yeah. and i have i take it every day and it's it's just it's great it's a great solution and actually it's the source of pride for the people of medellin you know the, los paises as they call themselves yeah. in this region of antioquia which is the state or the department as they call them Uh, yeah, they it's just they rob it on the face of the Bogot, yeah, you know, the Bogota people. Yeah, you're the capital, and you don't have a metro. You know, you have one of these. Do you have one of these? No, you don't. That blew me away when I found out that Bogota doesn't have a metro. No, they have. They have a this. What's it called? Is this the buses? Yeah. Like called metro buses. Call it uh, Transmilenio. Mm -hmm. Transmilenio, but it's not you know, anywhere near this. And it's just, I've been there and I've, I've taken them, but no, Metro is nice. It's yeah. nice, yeah. Well, I know for, we can wrap this up, but when I, uh, when you think about all the places you've been and all the places you've seen and, you know, the different countries now that you've lived in, what have you learned about uh, yourself and people 
and um, the world in general? What has it taught you? Uh, I know this, this, this is a common place, and people have, have say this uh, every time they ask this question, but really traveling uh, changes you. It actually enriches you, but it but also um, it, it 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 forces you to to look deep into the human condition more than just like the superficial way you do. Um, you see that we share the same problems. That's most of it. We share the same pain, but also we share the simplest things of life, like laugh that we can laugh, especially in comedy, and then I've had the opportunity to perform comedy in other countries as well. It's just so beautiful to see that you, we can connect, you know, on, on different things, even despite of, of uh, a lot of cultural differences and the way that we were brought up or even some sometimes his language. Um, but we laugh and we cry and, um, and we all at the same things that uh, are beautiful. So... Traveling has uh, made me more conscious of that. You know that we live, even in spite of all the problems, we live in a beautiful world, and it's worth living. And yeah, it's, it's you know just that. <laughs> That's great, man. Um, oh, I forgot to do this. Uh, give your website and any other place, the social media, and tell people where they can find you and maybe see some of your comedy. Good. Thank you, Senor Miguel. Get your plugs in. Thank you, Senor Miguel. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Okay, um, all social media across the board is Cisneros Comedy. Cisneros, C-I-S-N-E-R-O-S Comedy. Comedy. It's at Cisneros Comedy at uh, Instagram, YouTube, uh, TikTok. Uh, you can find me as well. My YouTube channel is YouTube dot com slash Cisneros comedy. So like, that's it. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I could find it because the other way was Cisneros Chris and people yeah. don't know how to spell Chris. Is Chris like the Americans or is Chris like, you know, so it's no. Yeah, that's it. Across the board. So watch, follow, like or don't like whatever you want. <laughs> Chris Cisneros, everybody. I appreciate it. man. thank you for the comedy and thank you for getting me on stage the other night. Thank you for the invitation, man. Chris Cisneros, everybody. I'm a smoker. I'm a man. 